Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. What does it take to turn a skeptic into a believer in life after death? What is life after death? Does death even exist? Well, welcome to the 499th edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. I'm not Ben. He's a little bit running a little bit late because of his commute today, but he'll be here in a few minutes. And those stimulating questions uh, are going to be directed to our guest, whom we'll introduce in just a minute. Now, this evening we'll discuss a fascinating subject that isn't nearly as negative as you might think, death. Remember that old song uh, from what the Monty Python movies, uh, Always Look on the Bright Side of Death? And we do welcome your calls this evening locally. It's 401-766-1240 or 800-449-1240 from anywhere in the U.S. or Canada. Sandra Champlain is a New England entrepreneur and the author of How to Survive Grief, The Law of Chocolate. Maybe we should drop everything else and talk about that tonight. And her latest book, We Don't Die, a renowned... What's the rest of it? We Don't Die, A Skeptic's Discovery of Life After Death. But beyond that, Sandra, uh, of course, she also owns the Kent Coffee and Chocolate Company in Connecticut. But beyond that, Sandra was in a very uncomfortable situation. She was a serious skeptic with a serious fear of death and dying. Her remarkable, her remarkable story is the subject of our show this evening. Her website, www.wedontdie.com. No apostrophe in the don't. Sandra Champlain, welcome to Behind the Paranormal. Paul, I'm so excited to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Oh, you're welcome. And it's great to have you in studio. It's a rare treat for us. This is twice in, fo- in five weeks. That's pretty remarkable. Oh, I saw where you were. It's like, I have to drive. Yeah. Oh, not yeah, too great. Far. Yeah, no, that's, that's excellent. Well, for Rhode Islander, it might be far, but for you, not. No. All right. Okay. Now, Sandra, some, of you, some people might think this is a dumb question, but we don't think it is. Why were you so afraid of dying? And could you give us the background on that? A little bit of the background. Um, there's a big unknown in that. I had my grandfather die. I've had lost pets. I was going through a time in my life that it just seemed like all bad things were happening. You know, the same stuff kept happening. Not mm-hmm. happy with my job. Not happy with life. Breakups. All that. And you know those moments when we look up at the stars and just look up into the vastness and something about, well, who am I? What is my life for? Is there anything beyond this? And then it just hit me like a ton of bricks. I didn't have an answer. I grew up Catholic, so everything I who knew didn't? was yes yeah. was faith. But it just having the faith wasn't enough. I mean, I just I didn't know what happened next. If anything happened next, does Sandra live on? Am I just completely gone? And it was something that it just it, it literally kept me up at night, not having an answer. And but a tremendous fear. Hmm. Okay. So what did you do about it? Um, the first thing I did was nothing, <laughs> and then I couldn't. I couldn't. <laughs> what most people do. Yeah. Yeah. I tried to avoid it. I got. It's so easy to get caught up in work and day to day life. But then often it's a distraction. Right. That's what the Buddhists would say, certainly. Correct. And then when my mind got quiet, all of a sudden the fear would sneak back in. So I started studying major world religions. Maybe, you know, Catholicism had the belief in faith, but maybe somebody else had the goods, really knew, and had something concrete that I could hold on to. Um, I'm grateful that I went on that experience because I found out how many religions have the same common belief in life after death. So having this conversation that you know, a lot of people think what I'm into is against their religion, but it's not because the top 
uh, religions in the world do believe. But I ended up having a um, experience going to see a medium do a stage show. And although I didn't believe in mediums, I went for the entertainment value. And I had a friend that really believed in this, so I thought, okay, I'll go just for fun. And during the course of her stage show, she very accurately told people who their deceased friends and loved ones were around them. So my skeptical mind is thinking right away that these people were planted in the audience, that there might be some reason that they're there, that at the end of the performance there was going to be some cell for some some course or some books or something, but nothing happened. So on one hand, um, I was very, very interested. My skeptical mind was trying to blow it off, saying there's there's no possibility of this. But the girl inside, deep down, who was afraid of dying, I had to know more. So ultimately, I ended up uh, taking a course with this medium, which I'd love to tell you what happened on in that adventure to California. Sure. Get- Go right ahead. Okay. Well, the medium's name was uh, Doreen Virtue, and she's very famous. Now, uh, is that her real name? Th- believe it, it or really? not, okay. that is her real name. It's actually Dr. Doreen uh, Virtue. She was a, was a psychologist who, really? okay. in her own experience, started um, seeing things before they happened. Um, she got messages and visions of getting carjacked and of course her analytical mind just blew it off thinking you know it's not real well it happened identical to how she had first foreseen uh, it in her mind so this woman has turned she's used all of her um, counseling tools and put it together with her uh, metaphysical and spiritual tools and really impacting people's lives. So this course that she offered was called Medium Mentorship. And at the end of three days, you will be someone who can accurately tell d- the deceased people around others. So skeptical Sandra was thinking, well, there's no way that's possible. Um, but fear of dying Sandra was thinking, well, what if? I mean, I saw that stage show. What if that's possible? So I took her course in Laguna Beach, California, and I went top secret. I didn't tell my family or friends that I was going. Um, Paul, I used to be someone who would be very vocal if... Well, I would never, ever imagine I would be on a paranormal show, put it that way. I would think anybody who dabbled in this were just crazy. Um, You need to get a life. There's more important things to do than, you know, the world of the occult, which doesn't exist. So I was not going to risk my reputation and tell anybody that I was taking this course in California. So I show up at the uh, in Laguna Beach. It was held at a hotel. There were only about 20, 25 of us in the room. And Doreen, pleasant-looking woman, um, she wore what seemed like an angel gown, almost like gypsy wear, as did many people in the room. And I show up with my khaki pants on and my polo shirt, felt a little out of place. But the first thing she had us do is she explained a little bit about mediumship and how it works. And she said, "We're go- I'm going to do a, a demonstration of how mediumship works, but don't worry about it. We're not really going to do it. I'm just going to give you, um, you know, w- what it would look like if you were really a medium. So she says, everybody grab a partner and sit knee to knee, hold hands, close your eyes. Imagine that there's this invisible energy that travels between your hearts. 
and she said, ask, ask the question um, of your partner. Are there some deceased loved ones that want to appear? And again, this is all not really doing it, just practice. So she says, use your imagination, and I want you to create a person standing behind your partner. So I went first because there was no fear and that's, you know, we all have this um, inner skeptic, I believe, inside of us. And that's always, you know, I can't do this. It's not going to work. Maybe it'll work for other people, but certainly not me. This goes through my mind all the time. But because she said we weren't really going to do a medium reading, it gave me the um, courage and confidence just to make up a person, which was the assignment. So with my eyes closed, I'm sitting there and I'm telling this woman, okay, I see a man behind you. Um, if it's on the left side of the person, it's on the mother's side. You know, this was how it works, apparently. So just out of my mouth, I said, I, I see who I think would be your grandfather on your mom's side. Um, I heard the name Jan in my imagination, so I said, his name is Jan. He was a fisherman in Denmark. Again, I saw like just a picture of a fishing boat flashed across my imagination. Denmark kind of came to mind. And I said he had a big gap between his two front teeth. He had sandy blonde hair, really windburned skin, blue eyes. Um, he died of lung cancer. And he had never told your mom that he loved her. And he really wants you to tell her that he loves her. So I opened my eyes like, okay, it's your turn. You know, I did my part. And the woman in front of me has just got streams of tears coming down her face. Her grandfather's name was Jan on the mom's side. He was a fisherman in Denmark. He fit the description. He died of lung cancer. And he, um, this woman said that the mother had told her that her own dad had never uttered the words, I love you, while she was alive, or while he was alive, excuse me. And so in that moment, I, you know, the, I started to believe, I, because one, if there are people that can accurately tell the deceased around others, it's certainly not going to be me. Who am I? I'm not special. But for this to happen in my own head was huge. And then the woman I was working with did the same thing, and she correctly identified my grandfather, saw the German shepherd that was always by his side, um, his dog Champa, saw his cane, um, and gave me a really loving message from my grandfather. So that opened the doors to, oh, my goodness, what, what else is there? That's very interesting. Uh, mm. Ben has arrived, by the way. Yeah, after after a forty minute drive. Oh, good heavens! Uh, yeah, traffic right. was bad. Well, such are the uh, the uh, pr- uh, the trudges of mortal life. The commuter, yes. especially to Boston. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, uh, Sandra, that's uh, very moving. Uh, of course, I started out in the seminary forty three years ago. Research uh, interested in the paranormal because of my father's death in nineteen sixty one. Right. I started out with pretty much the same. Idea because as as much as as uh, well mainline Christian religions don't like spiritualism, okay? right? Um, the point of view really is kind of spiritualist, really the the, the point of view with with some variations. I mean, at the risk of gross misunderstanding. So when I started on my first investigations, I began to ask a few questions because when I when we would all stand there, there were seven of us in this case, and hear 
ox carts going by that we couldn't see, and they were in an abandoned village by my first case, 1771. And things of that kind, things that were very physical, such as the, the, the describing the man's cane right. or the gap between the teeth. Right. Are these, I, this is what I ask myself, are, are these spirits as in disembodied energy or whatever, however you want to define it in the, our puny language, which we really can't talk about this, or are we seeing them never having died in a, say, parallel world? Yeah, I'll go what, for... What do you say about... I mean, what, what do you think? I mean, who knows? But I mean, that's I'll go that's for ours. B. <laughs> okay. um, when I think about it, and before we had gotten on, you'd said something about quantum physics. Um, I don't know much about the world of quantum mechanics, but I do know we're all made up of energy. Yeah, even, even matter is a form of energy. Everything is. And if you put a miniature camera into one of our atoms inside our, our hands, it would just, there'd be nothing. It, it, we're just vibrating energy. And I know that right around us right now, we've got the um, radio waves that we can't see, television signals, uh, wireless internet could be around, invisible to our eyes, but very, very real. Right. And so... Oh, I was going to say, why don't you hold your book up, because uh, this is, the, oh, those, those oh, who happen right. to be listening on a computer can actually see us, aren't they lucky? With you, they're luckier than us. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> so, I did not know that. How yeah, exciting. So, um, well, that's yeah, fascinating. So, but in any on. case, the title, We Don't Die, um, I'm wondering if maybe we we believe that more strenuously than most people do, because I, I don't even, even believe, see, these people that I was investigating, they showed no sign whatsoever of being dead. Never mind being what I thought in purgatory, bringing in right. the theological. Yeah, they, they, they were t- in clothes, uh, sometimes driving vehicles. I mean, uh, what's that? I mean, if, is that spirit? I mean, I've seen entities that seem disembodied. I think it's only because of the way they look across the, the boundaries of the worlds, in my opinion. And it could be all wrong, but I, I immediately started ah. to suspect that those old theories weren't good enough. Spiritualism wasn't good enough. Right. You know, it could maybe get you started. And, and most mediums we know don't know any other way to interpret it. These are dead people, and this is that. But I started to ask those questions, rightly or wrongly. And so I don't believe even the body does, because there are so many of them. It's like... What we see here is one manifestation of a much larger con- uh, mm-hmm. consciousness that could be in many, many forms. And uh, I, I don't know, Ben has yet, but Ben operates on different. Uh, I have my own higher circles in the multiverse than I do. But I've encountered. I'll give you an example. And okay. Tell me what you think of this. I don't mean to monopolize. No, I'm, I'm excited to be here. <laughs> and hi, Ben. <laughs> Augsburg State Hospital, <laughs> late 1970s, or I should mid 1970s. I was a seminary student, and I was over there uh, at the state hospital to do pastoral work mm-hmm. with the patients, and also uh, on the hush hush to work with a priest who was involved in exorcisms, because sometimes the doctors just couldn't explain stuff going on across the room when some, you know, and all this. Uh, that's another su- subject for another day, but. There was a, uh, a hallway that was considered haunted by the staff. And some of them knew I was a little bit into this. And I kept it low because the church authorities weren't wild about me for doing this. And there was a medium, a uh, psychic medium, who was in one of the pa- was a patient. Mm-hmm. This is in days when there were a lot more inpatients than there are today. And she said, well, there is a man, uh, the a spirit of a man who's waiting for his wife, who's a patient in the next room, to die, and he's going to take her home. 
that was her interpretation. And there was something, you know, fluky about this hallway. So I, the the chapel also happened to be in this hallway. So I went in there, and I, I never have attempted to communicate deliberately. I think that is very dangerous. But what I you, know, you just leave it in a meditative state, mm-hmm. and if something that I suppose feels right or acts right and is right in every way that your discernment can tell, then uh, I will be receptive. And what I found out, to make a long story short, was that this this was a man waiting for his wife, but he was across the St. Lawrence River in Canada waiting at a railroad station in a parallel reality. At all, according to quantum physics, all possibilities exist right. in concrete form somewhere or somewhere. And he said, yeah, he's waiting for his wife to get off the train. He's going to take her home. So she, if I was right in this, this was all very clear, and he spoke English. A lot of times they don't. We, we can't communicate. I've communicated in Latin, strange forms of French, Spanish, uh, even uh, Greek a little bit. Uh, my Greek's a little shaky, but, you know, uh, but you know, sometimes you can't communicate at all. But this, this was a guy, and so she interpreted this, and, and not thinking of it in any other way but spirit, that's how she interpreted it. Right. And uh, whether this was really his wife, and next she was was in a coma, so I couldn't talk to her. But uh, so I mean, this it's changed everything in my point of view. It doesn't mean that it's not legitimate. It's just that it's a whole different way of looking at it, right? And might have even deeper implications for what we are and where we're going and what's happening. So, what say you? It's it's amazing. My mind jumped all over the place when you were telling that story. Well, we're here to talk to you. So I'm not oh, I I no, it's okay. I've been thinking about um, Reverend Rita Berkowitz. Um, you may or may not know of her. She yeah. is the spiritartist.com. She's on my road to learning. I went to her church in Quincy, Massachusetts. Quincy, Massachusetts. I had bought in a book called The Idiot's Guide to Communicating with Spirits because I wanted to know why sometimes I could effectively tell the deceased around others and the other times it was just my imagination. So sure enough, I thought, well, a bookstore must have a book on this and, you know, very playfully written um, because it is the idiot's guide to communicating with spirits. But what I found out is uh, it was written by Reverend Rita Berkowitz, who is a minister in spiritualism. And for those who don't know, spiritualism, um, it, it seems, I've been to the services, it seems to be a, like a Christian-based um, thing, but at the end, the minister is a medium and comes out and tells the congregation who the deceased loved ones are around them. And so when I was reading this book, I thought, oh my gosh, I've, I've got to go to one of these spiritualist churches. How do I find one? And then also within the pages, Reverend Rita is also an artist. So she not only sees people around you, but she'll draw a picture. So throughout the book are portraits she's drawn and pictures of the people as they lived and gave me goosebumps just to see, like, they're the same people. So when I turned to the back of the book, not only did I find... Um, Oh, there's a spiritualist church right near me in Quincy, Massachusetts, but it happened to be Reverend Rita. So I got to meet the author of the book, um, and I can. That led me on a road to, to find out about electronic voice phenomena, oh, yeah. which we can get into. But one thing I want to tell you is um, three years after I met uh, Reverend Rita, my dad had passed. And that was one of the reasons I wrote the book, is, um, wrote We Don't Die. Is, the amazing things I found out about grief, which heal people's pain faster and do all, does great things. Yeah, we're going to burn up this okay. hour, so so that right now, why don't you take the time to tell us about the book before we don't get to it? 
Oh, why what, I wrote the book? Where people can get it and, and oh, okay. about why you wrote it and all that. Yeah, okay. Uh, well, We Don't Die, A Skeptic's Discovery of Life After Death. I'll uh, let you know my website is wedontdie.com. No apostrophe. No apostrophe. Um, and there, yeah, you can communicate with me by the book. Um, there's also a documentary that is now out about me, in which I do some dowsing experiments and electronic voice phenomena is on there, so it's pretty amazing. It's also available at bookstores worldwide, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, your favorite bookstore. Why I wrote the book is I had gone on this life-after-death journey just personally, again, Never was I going to tell other people because I was too afraid that they'd call me crazy. But I started the journey between um, the mediumship, uh, electronic voice phenomena, EVPs, incredible. Um, Finding doctors that have researched near-death experiences. One doctor who not only researched near-death experiences, but documented blind people that who had never had vision in their life can see during a near-death experience. Um, The world of reincarnation, Dr. Ian Stevenson, who um, interviewed over 5,000 children who could accurately tell who they were in a previous incarnation. And then, you know, there's so many other doctors and scientists and even a physicist I worked with that for me, you know, I knew in the back of my mind someday it would be a great thing to tell mankind because there is so much pain when we lose a loved one. But again, I got very busy in life. It's so easy to just get busy with our day-to-day things. And I thought, well, maybe someday, but not now. And again, who would listen to me? I'm a nobody, really. I'm a chef. I own a chocolate shop that wasn't doing well at the time. Sounds good to me. Yeah. Well, I should have brought you some chocolates. I'm sorry. Well, anyway, so fast forward. And all along this time, too, I've been doing a lot of um, transformational work, self-help books, really looking at what it is to be a human being and how we can live life uh, through our fear and be courageous and produce results and what is this thing about the secret is there a secret you know all the law of attraction and trying to do some energy work and i learned remote viewing which is an esp technique which is mind-blowing so all this was going through me and unfortunately my dad was diagnosed with cancer in january of 2010 and over the next Five months I was by his side as he slowly withered away very painfully. And in the course of all that happening, I had very loving relationships with my siblings. And you hear about when a parent dies that siblings fight and people get labeled as the greedy one and, you know, there's fighting over the will. And, you know, never in a million years would I would have thought that would have happened to my family because we were so close um, but it did grief uh, really and I didn't know it was grief at the time but arguments started happening just fights over dad's care it all went wrong so not only did my dad die May 11th 2010 but the relationships with my siblings ended and so I went into a very deep dark place which many of us who have felt who have lost a loved one the closer you are to someone, the more it hurts, you know, whether it's a pet or a person. Um, and so somehow, like, this little light bulb went off in my head, like, idea, um, I wonder if this is grief, if this, all of this world, I mean, you know you're going to be sad, but the devastating amount of pain, anger, I'm normally this happy-go-lucky person you see here, and oh my God, I was a monster. And just the fights and things. And so I ended up investigating the world of grief 
yes, there's the stages of grief, but what takes a good person and turns them into a monster and so depressed? So long story short, I found out that our brain actually loses part of our chemicals. A healthy brain is 100%. We lose some uh, neurotransmitters in our brain down to about 10% of um, functioning neurotransmitters. And those neurotransmitters actually handle our our mood, our memory, our communication centers, our perception. And it dawned on me, well, that, that explains the anger and the sadness, but it also explains some of the arguments because a grieving brain can't store reality as it's really happening. And so many times um, you or your listeners might have felt this. If you are grieving, you can't remember where you put your keys or you can't remember if I you did something or said something. Our, our memory can be just trash. And I remember a conversation I had had with my sister and we were arguing about something and it's like, what do you, like we, we weren't arguing about the same thing and I, I kind of logged it as she's out to get me, you know, make me look bad to the other siblings where now after the fact, no, it's a grieving brain couldn't communicate. So why this is important is I decided to put everything I learned on an audio and I created an, a CD and a free download uh, at survivegrief.com and hold it up. <laughs> and well, this is the documentary. The DVD, the CD is there as well. And what happened was, in the course of just a few months of making a few Facebook posts, ten thousand—I mean, sorry, three thousand people in fifteen countries downloaded it. I started getting emails about how it eased people's pain, how it gave them hope, because I include a bit of the life after death at the end. But the most important thing that happened is people started reporting that they chose not to end their lives, to commit suicide. One man, actually, I met him. He looked me in the eye. His wife had left him for another man, and he was grieving. So I had burned a few copies of this audio and gave him one. And he um, looked me in the eye and he said that he had plans of ending his life and he said he listened to my audio and he says it was like you were talking just to me you knew my anger my sadness everything I was going through he said I took your steps to get out of grief and he said now I'm on the planet and he's happily engaged and in love and so I got enough emails from people that chose not to end their lives and that my information really helped them heal and relieved pain that I thought I need to put away all the fear of what people are going to think about me. Be a big girl, be courageous, and write a book. And that, that's here amazing. it is. What, what, what a wonderful gift to give to people. But we have to take a break. Okay. We'll be right back in just a second. So stay with us. You're listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on WON 1240 AM. I'm sorry, WON 1240. I was told not to say AM. Uh, in New England's beautiful Blackstone River Valley. So stay with us. In times of joy, in moments of grief, broadcasters come through even when all else fails. Today, with more ways than ever to experience the moments that transform our lives, Americans still choose broadcast radio and television more than all other media combined. We are the local broadcasters of radio and television, reaching more people, Touching more lives. Brought to you by the National Association of Broadcasters and this station. You can depend on us for public service. Owen Radio. Owen Radio. Owen Worldwide. 
Hey everybody, this is the Moose Man. Check out the Groove Line for the best blues, rock, funk, classic 50s, and the Beatles every single week. Tune in Thursdays from 6 to 7 p.m. That's the Groove Line right here on Owen. Owen Radio! And wanted to tell you about a couple of the charities Ben and I have adopted. Uh, they're mostly veterans charities. I wanted to mention three in particular. USACares.org, marvelous charity that assists financially uh, members of the families of our, our brave veterans. And, uh, for example, if they have a mortgage that's overdue and they're stuck for money, out goes a check from these great people. So check that out, please, USACares.org. Also, Builders Helping Heroes, locally in the Blackstone Valley, uh, the Rhode Island Builders Association has been partnering with has been partnering with homes for our troops and they've been building a house for a Marine Corps veteran uh, who lost both his legs in his second deployment to Afghanistan in 2011, and it's being built in Harrisville, Rhode Island, and it's a beautiful, beautiful place. I've been out there several times, and uh, you want to check that out, too, buildershelpingheroes.org. Also, Canadian Veterans Advocacy, uh, whether you're a Canadian listener or not, uh, Canada has been with us shoulder to shoulder in the war on terror since the beginning in Afghanistan, and we certainly want to support uh, but Mike Blaze's great charity up there, and uh, that is a, a, an organization that uh, advocates legally and legislatively for Canadian veterans, and they're doing some tremendous work. So CanadianVeteransAdvocacy.org. Check that out. So we're back to our guest, Sandra Champlain, her very inspiring story of her own experience. And while we may not see eye to eye on the mechanics of how it works, or exactly, you know, it's still it, very it, uplifting. It's still very uplifting <laughs> because, in the end, love is is everything. And I'm, you know, I'm not a touchy feely guy, but that's one of the things I learned. Love is the most powerful force in the universe. And uh, when we, we often will give advice to people who have, lo- quote, lost loved ones. I don't think anything of the kind occurs. But, right. And uh, my mother, uh, as we say, translated in 2011, people said, uh, said, okay, wise guy, how do you handle a loss? I said, well, it's not a loss. We are with her in many, many worlds where she never died. That's how we looked at it. My relationship with her is better than it's ever been. You know? Yeah. Uh, so there we are. But that's a different point of view. But the point is, love is what matters. So let's talk a little bit of, in the time remaining about EVPs or electronic voice phenomena. This is a big deal among the ghost hunting groups. Uh, something that, and you know, and uh, when Ben comes back in here, I want to ask him about it because he's you know studying this professionally. Uh, what is your experience with EVPs? Uh, very cool experience on my. Um track of what else is there. I, I seem to have all these great synchronicities. Like, oh, well, let me just explain. Sure. I'm sorry, I didn't explain. EVPs, electronic voice <laughs> phenomena, is, is uh, voices captured on recording media of some Correct. kind or other. Yes. And uh, these are often thought of as, quote, spirit voices, unquote, or the voices of somebody somewhere else. So I'm sorry. Right. And, and I do buy into it's just another dimension that we can't see and it's um and hopefully we'll have time to touch on remote viewing too which is awesome Mm, Um, used for military purposes (laughs) (laughs) but when and just a a brief commercial for um, remote viewing when someone can have an experience of having a magazine in front of them that they've never opened before and can quiet their mind and have the intention playfully like using your imagination. If I could see the pictures inside this magazine, what would they be? And to have a notebook 
nearby and just write down any images that come into your imagination. And when you start going through that magazine, you find those images that you first saw in your mind are in that magazine. Or, you know, you could have someone in Australia and it's got something on their dining room table and sends you a picture on their iPhone after. And you can identify some of those images. It's mind-blowing. So suddenly it brings this world of... You don't want to say make-believe, but it's so easy for the skeptical mind to blow this off that it's just our imagination. But when you have an experience like this, it is oh so real. So electronic voice phenomena, I attended a course um, in Rhinebeck, New York, at the Omega Center with Tom and Lisa Butler, who are now the presidents of the A-Trans-C, Association of Trans Communication, was at one time the um, Association of Electronic Voice Phenomena. And they had been at the time recording voices of the hereafter for, I think, about 17 years. So over the course of a weekend, we heard lots of examples of um, these voices. And so they say that 99% of the voices that come through are whispers and the background noise. You hear the expression white noise. And we need to have some kind of a background sound, whether it's um, a radio on a, a, a middle channel that you can't really hear voices or uh, raindrops in the background. Or I've even done these in a busy airport where there's just like the scattered background noises. And that our loved ones can somehow miraculously manipulate the energy inside of the recording and turn it into voices and as crazy as this sounded to me you know i had to take this course and so there were just a half a dozen of us in the course most of the people had lost someone very dear to them and were desperately looking for proof that they were still alive and so we would do we'd hold hands in a group uh close our eyes imagine this huge vortex of energy around us because it is said that we need to up our energy that all we are is energy so this energy manipulation can take place and so uh, tom and lisa butler are very normal people um not at all what i thought would be in the the world of evps and we would just do these recordings of pretty much nothing and out of the recordings, Tom would put, he would download them onto his uh, computer and then loop the sound over and over and over and listen for voices. Now, I, first, first, I couldn't hear anything. But Tom and Lisa were saying, oh, Sandra, there's a message for your grandmother. Is her name Betsy? <laughs> yes. Um, there's a message for your mom, Marion. Yes, that's her name. And so they were hearing it and they were saying they were training, they've trained their ears to really pick up the subtle sounds that are in this background noise. A lot of people get frustrated when they try electronic voice phenomena because our ear picks up on the background noise, not the whispers. So I went to bed in a cabin alone that night with my digital tape recorder And I so wanted this to be real because deep inside, I knew if I could prove to people that their loved ones aren't gone, somewhere, someday, I knew that I could help people that are in pain. So I held out my digital tape recorder. And again, I'm in a cabin alone, just raindrops outside, which I figured would make good white noise. And I said, if anybody's here with me, I need you to talk loud. And I imagined my grandmother, uh, grandfather and aunt and uncle standing at the foot of my bed and completely believed that I'm making all of this up because, you know, 
come on, this is crazy. But yeah, I was a good girl doing the homework. And so I just said, if you're here, I need you to talk loud. And so I let the recording just record for about a minute. And then I said, good night. And I played it back with just headphones. I didn't bring my computer with me. I didn't have Tom Butler's uh, fancy computer program to loop the sounds. And when I listened to it, the first time I just got goosebumps because I knew something was on there. And I played it again, and I played it again, and I played it again. And what was on there was a man's voice saying, Good night, Sandra. Then there are two women whisper, good night, good night. And then a male's voice that says, good night. Sounds like a bedtime story. Oh, my gosh. Well, um, it it sounds good telling the story now, but I was scared to death when I actually got it because I didn't like the idea that there were people around, that this could happen. Well, let's let Ben Ben studies this professionally, uh, audio design. Well, I I am am an audio design student at Emerson College. Very good. There is a fun field called psychoacoustics, and essentially what that is is our brain will put sounds in where we think there should be sounds. So my problem with EVPs is this. You hear nothing but static, and my professor demonstrated this in class using what's called pink noise. And... Our job was to uh, pick out as many blips as we could of a, of a sine wave in between this pink noise. <clears throat> Excuse me. And I, some, a bunch of people raised their hands like, oh, I hear like six, I hear seven. I was like, oh, I heard eight. And he was like, oh, you're just imagining that because in your brain you think there's another sound coming, but there isn't. Your brain logically puts in an extra sound where you think there should be one. So that's my big problem with EVPs. If you think something's there, that's why people get frustrated because, I mean, you could have a trained ear, I suppose, but still, it just sounds like like wind to me, and our brain will take that and make sense of it. So that's my big problem with it. Yeah, and that, that makes sense, and that, I think, on my journey, th- that true too, but I decided to not... I mean, it wasn't just that one example. There was a, a woman that I had told my story to at an airport. I'd been in a seminar with her, and her mom had passed away, and she had never gotten to say goodbye to her mom, and big, sad course of events. Um, but I knew this woman as um, Ellie, and so she says, oh, can we can we try to do a recording can we try to do a recording and um i said well sure and i'm thinking oh background noise is the airport and so i did this and i saw a woman in my mind so that was cool number one which later on she verified that that's what her mother looked like um but i got the name olivia i still love you and i said that to this woman like i think I'm hearing something incorrectly because I knew her name was Ellie and she says, my real name's Olivia. You know, that's one thing. And then there was a woman that I had met at a seminar whose father had died while she was in prison. And she says, oh, can we do a recording? And I very discreetly had done these with people just out of the kindness of my heart. And there's probably about 200 people that I actually worked with over the course of a couple of years just that I met in my travels. And this one woman, like I said, she she was in prison while her father died, and she had a whole bunch of guilt that she never got to apologize for the way she was living her life. And so um, when we did the recording, I heard just... uh, 
I heard so easy to talk now, so easy to breathe. And then there was an I love you with her name and a couple of other things. And lo and behold, the father had died. He had had a tracheotomy and wasn't able to speak the last few years of his life. And so she says that makes perfect sense. And there was a few other things that were accurate. Um, I did a recording with a friend of mine who was in Australia at the time. And I literally was in my house in Byfield, Massachusetts, and recorded for just one minute the sound of water drops you know, from the shower. And because I wanted to prove that there's no such thing as time and space, like he had a deceased wife. No, there aren't any such things as time. Right. But could she literally travel however many thousand miles to Byfield and put a a message on my on my tape recorder? And what was on that? There was, um, you know, it takes just a minute to record, but it can literally take an hour to go through it and, and listen for the sounds. And I heard, hello, Duncan. And now, Ben, it could be my mind knowing that his name was Duncan, put it on there. But then I heard French singing. I heard she's a much better housekeeper than I am, which my friend Duncan said his new wife is. And then I kept hearing Pepe La Pew, Pepe La Pew. And I'm thinking... The cartoon character? The cartoon character. And now this man, Duncan, was a very professional businessman in Australia. I'm like, I can't say Pepe La Pew. But I said, yes, I can. He's my friend. And he just started to laugh. He says, that's what I called my grandfather. So I heard those things. Now, was it my psychic mind picking it up? Now, that's just as strange. You know, if, mm. if you want to, if you want to go down the skeptical point of view, the thing is, is our brains do a very good job of convincing us of what it thinks is real. At one time, this planet was just rocks and trees and water and grass. And through technology and everything, I mean, we have microphones in front of us, we have books, we have wireless signals. How in the world do satellites transfer down to us and our iPhones, pictures coming through? We really do live in a miraculous world. But our minds, which I think... It keeps us believing that we're just human. It convinces us, oh, it can't possibly be real. There's, they say a thousand stars like our sun uh, for every grain of sand on this, on this planet. There, you know, if you start looking at the quantum level of things, everything is made of energy. I mean, we live in this miraculous world, but this mind of ours, which I don't want to blast because it's the only one we have, but we all know that it is filled with self-defeating thoughts often. I can't do this. This isn't going to work. Convincing us to be afraid. Convincing us that this is all there is. And that is why I believe we're skeptics. But if we can step outside of that and start questioning and we start taking new actions and we start working through our fears and we start, I mean, I think, I believe, I've done a lot of work with dousing, that we can increase our energy level and good things can come back to us, uh, whether you call it the law of attraction or the things in the secret. I'm living example of some really mis- miraculous, mysterious things that have happened. And I say, why not? Um, most people live leave this earth when they die and have regrets, what they should have said, what they shouldn't have done. And so... I believe, and this is one of the reasons I wrote We Don't Die, and it's also listed as a motivational book, is how you can have a great life while you're here, great relationships, work through your fears, have new results, be fulfilled, and at the end of this life, 
you know, you say, wow, I really got my money's worth out of being on planet Earth this time. And then when we do pass, you close your eyes and open in that new dimension. And that's the game I'm out to play. I'm out to have people live great lives now. That's, that's really good. Uh, we're burning up the time here, of course. You want to talk about remote viewing um, and we have lots of other questions, but just go ahead and say a word about remote viewing. Remote viewing, I learned from physicist Russell Targ, who was one of the founding oh, yeah. fathers of the laser beam. He's mm-hmm. now 80 years old, and he's very scientific of how, as a boy, he could see things in his mind and know that, geez, you've got a golden retriever, and your house is blue, and things like he shouldn't know. And so in the 70s and 80s, he created the Stanford Research Institute uh, with the Central Intelligence Agency and created these psychic spies, did a whole bunch of experiments on the validity of psychic phenomena. Beginnings of Project Stargate. Yeah, yeah, very, very, very cool. So on this weekend retreat, he was saying every human being can remote view, every single person. And so we would have experiments that we would hide something in a bag and our partner would have to, you know, you have to clear your mind. And, you know, when you try to meditate or even when you try to slow down right before you go to bed at night, usually our minds are just spinning with what I should have done, what shouldn't I have done, thinking of our to-do list the next day. That's what I call the voice. But to quiet that voice, to have the intention of what's in the bag, or if you have a sealed envelope and a picture in it, um, what's in that picture. And it's amazing because images... Um, just come to our imagination, just like I had seen the deceased, that guy Jan, the fisherman in Denmark. They come just to our imagination and just take note of, and have a notepad, write down what's on, um, what's coming to your mind. And so, over the course of three days, my mind and every everybody else's, there's 60 of us in the room, everybody could effectively remote view. Now, could we tell exactly what the image was or the object? No. Our the psychic mind of ours can likes to find interesting things. One of the experiments I did with my partner, he had something hidden in his brown paper lunch bag. And so, you know, I closed my eyes, and of course my mind's thinking, oh, I can't do this, it'll never work. Okay, he said, put away that brain, and if it could work, what do I see? And the first thing I saw was a silver ring that had three gemstones, a red one, a blue one, and a green one. And then I felt like strawberry on my fingertips like how strawberries are have the seeds and it's kind of a raised raised surface so I felt that I imagined um, a clothespin and when you work with a partner it's like well what is it about that clothespin Sandra you know there's questions that you have to ask and I kept thinking open close open close open close like a clothespin he says how big is this object and I drew on my piece of paper a, a rectangle well lo and behold it was time to reveal what was in the bag. And so I opened the bag, and it was his cell phone, the same size as I had drawn, uh, drawn on my piece of paper. Opened, it was a flip phone, open, close, open, close. The numbers, um, when I touched them, they were all raised, so it felt like the bumps on the strawberry. And then finally, there was a silver ring, which was the menu button, and there was a stop button, which was red, 
the blue main menu button and the green, which was the talk, the same colors that came into my mind on the silver ring. And so that uh, gave me goosebumps and, you know, we swapped and he was equally as fascinated what he saw in his mind that was in my bag. And just to do those experiments over and over and over. And I can tell you guys, when I have a day that I'm feeling low and I'm feeling like this earth is all there is and I forget that I'm the author of this now a number one international best-selling book, um, and I'm living in the day-to-day doldrums of, you know, can't get it done, oh, woe is me. Sometimes I just take out a magazine and that I've never looked at, and I do this experiment, and it gives me goosebumps, and it reminds me that I am so much bigger than just this human that I think I am, and it can set me on the right path to having a good day and making something happen. Very interesting. Um, where does, uh, we touched on this in the very beginning, Sandra, where would religion, or, or, or I might say God, because it's not the same as religion, where would God fit into all this? That's a big question. It's a very big question to ask at the end of the show. <laughs> yeah, um, I don't know if I exactly know the answer to that. Um, I know um, for myself I have faith in God whether it's a guy with a beard, maybe not. I don't think so, Because yeah. <laughs> you have a, a say, guy with a beard. We say he has me. Yeah. We say he, she, it, or them. Yeah, you know, well, so. exactly. But yeah. I, I know that um, from all the people that have had near-death experiences and the medium things that have happened, there is a feeling of um, a lot of people, it is a God, it's a person, um, or a feeling, or a light, and there's a book called The Tibetan Book of Living and Dying. I've read it. It's yeah. awesome. And the author, um, Rinpoche, he says that whatever your belief is, is what's going to manifest when we pass. So um, my dad definitely believed in Jesus, went to Catholic Mass every day. And I had met a woman on a retreat who I'd never seen before and she just, uh, she's, she too, a psychologist. She says, is your dad passed? And I says, yes. Is his name John? Yes. She says, oh, I don't tell too many people that I get these psychic hits, but she keeps selling, saying, and t- she wants me to tell you, he's with Jesus. He's with Jesus. So that was pretty cool. So well, Jesus, Jesus certainly being one of my oldest friends, yes. personal friends. You know. So wait, hold yeah. on a second. You mentioned... Um a couple of people who are psychologists. What form of psychology do they practice? Do you know? Uh, we'd have to look that up. I do not know. All right. I was just just out of curiosity. I'd, yeah. I'd, I'd assume transpersonal psychology. No, no, no. It's really? mainstream. Yeah. If you look up Doreen Virtue is her name. Doreen um, Virtue. Yeah. yeah. Right. PhD. Yep. She's mainstream. Our guest on CBS last night was uh, Peter McHugh. He was a, a clinical psychologist from Scotland who has been studying. UFOs particularly, and the human experience in paranormal hotspots, wow. where all kinds of things happen, you know, uh, that seemingly seemingly unrelated. But uh, what I think we got time, maybe time for one more question: reincarnation. Right now, again, early on, back in the seventies, I started to quit. Now, now the, the Roman Church, of course, where I went to the seminary most of the time, and the Orthodox Church too, did not does not accept reincarnation. Certainly not in the classical sense of death, rebirth, death. And a lot of people do. And I was wondering, one thing that presented itself to my mind was if if that, in the classical sense, is true, why are there so many quote-unquote ghosts? Now, since then, obviously, we have a whole different interpretation of what all that is, as you know. But 
uh, how would you, as as one who tends to, I suppose, I, I assume, lean mm. more toward the spiritualist point of view, how how do you square the, the idea that there are so many quote unquote ghosts with the belief in reincarnation? In other words, if people reincarnate, they wouldn't be haunting right. the house down the well, street or whatever. First of all, I really buy into reincarnation because especially kids that pass, that's their only shot at this life. I don't think so. Yeah. Um, but I I think, and this is this empowers me and I've done enough reading of like-minded people that I like this, that I don't think it's an immediate reincarnation. I think on some cases, um, I've heard a, a brilliant medium who um, spoke with a woman whose child had died tragically and was actually reincarnated in the same lifetime as a child of hers. But I think, and again, this empowers me, that after we die, there's actually a, a place, wherever that is, that we kind of regroup. And how was this life? And looking back, what we experienced, what we learned, did we love? Um, and then we can come back. Now, I don't think it's an immediate thing. I think maybe over time, we do. Well, anything's possible, and we respect all opinions. And uh, Sandra Champlain, thank you so much for a great, uh, great conversation. The book is We Don't Die, A Skeptic's Discovery of Life After Death. We don't die.com. Check it out. It's been, it's been lots of fun. It's great having you here. Great Thank you. Here. Okay, you can visit our show website at BehindTheParanormal.com where you can find over 500 free podcasts of all past shows. You can also check out our site at www.NewEnglandGhosts.com where there are case studies and photos along with articles by my dad. And you certainly find my books on Barnes & Noble Nook e-reader and Amazon Kindle and at Amazon.com, etc., etc., etc. If you buy them directly at BehindTheParanormal.com, I will autograph them for you. Ta-da! And you will help us keep all those podcasts free. Also on our sites, you'll find direct links to several charities that Ben and I mentioned. USA Cares, Canadian Veterans Advocacy. Our CBS radio edition of the show on Sunday, November 10th in Boston, Pittsburgh, Detroit, Windsor, and Seattle, Vancouver will be our 500th official broadcast. You almost made it to 500. Wow. <laughs> By listener's request, we'll review the highlights of our show since 2008. So be sure to tune in. All right, next Monday, November 11th, right here on WON1240 and ONWorldwide.com, we will bring you an open line show to try and cut into that never-ending stack of emails. So you can get your questions to us at paulupbehindtheparanormal.com or via our show Facebook page, which is also of the same name. You can go and like it and send us little messages that way. If it's if it's more convenient, which I find that it is. Yes, because the form on our site really doesn't, work anymore we're trying to fix that but a lot of people use that but just send us an email uh, also um go to the facebook page and you can use the message uh, option on that to send us email as well indeed so we leave you this evening with a thought from contemporary american author max lucado quote faith is not the belief that god will do what you want it is the belief that god will do what is right Thank I'm, you for... Oh, I'm sorry. You were going to say something? I'm going to say I'm Paul Eno. And I'm Ben Eno, and thanks for listening and uh, being with us here at Behind the Paranormal and sailing with us on our great cosmic journey, and we shall see you next time. Return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now for another edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno.